the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, we see rejoicing in Antioch as the letter from Jerusalem is delivered. We also see Paul and Barnabas part ways over a ministry disagreement regarding John Mark who had abandoned the team on their first missionary journey. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 15, verse 28. Once again, that's Acts chapter 15, verse 28. The Holy Spirit so often works through very natural means. He works through Scripture. He speaks through Scripture. I have to say that most of the time when the Spirit of God is laying something on my heart is because I'm reading in my devotion time and the Lord just touches me by His Spirit. He'll put His finger in an area or a scripture will just stand out and I'll think, Lord, that's what you want me to do. Lord, this is the direction you're taking my life. He speaks through good counsel as well. And so they had done that together. And so they had come to this conclusion. We just want to exhort you. And again, so that they can minister to the Jewish people around them still, Stay away from the food offered to idols. Stay away from drinking blood, from eating things that have been strangled, the idea of the blood still in them, and then also from sexual immorality. And again, that's not a generic prohibition against sexual immorality that, well, we want to reach the Jews, so stop sleeping with each other. No, that was already a given, was the idea to be pure. But the idea here was to stay away from places where sexual immorality is going on, to stay away from things. I hate to be prickly about this in the sense of, what we watch on TV and where we go and, and what we do with our lives. But it, it seems almost kind of, uh, you're just a prude if you're ever going to even say anything about what we watch or what we see, what we bring into our homes. I don't want to see, I don't want to see another woman's skin. I, I don't want to see those things. I don't want my kids to see those things. The idea is to stay away from these regular practices that went on all the time in these cultures. And unfortunately that our culture is becoming more and more like that. And so they say, fare you well, which means it's just one word actually in in the Greek, it means be strong. And what do they want them to be strong in and what they already had? We don't have anything new to tell you. Be strong in your relationship with Jesus Christ. In second Timothy chapter two, Paul, the apostle, when he's urging Timothy to be a good leader, he says to him in the first two verses there, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So you be strong. And then the things that you have heard about me, about this grace, you 
Make sure you commit it to faithful men who they can pass it on to other faithful men who can pass it on to other faithful men and pass it on to other faithful men. This message of grace, you be strong in your relationship with Christ that comes through faith alone. Well, verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, the letter, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. So they get to Antioch, they read the letter and the people there are just fired up. Just like we were this morning during worship, it was excitement, there was rejoicing because there was great encouragement that grace had prevailed. And so verse 32, and Judas and Silas being prophets also themselves, these guys spoke the word of God to people. They exhorted the brethren with many words and they confirmed them. So these guys become guest speakers there at Antioch, just like Paul and Barnabas were guest speakers at Jerusalem. Now they're going to speak here at Antioch. And how cool is it to see these two groups ministering to each other's churches? These two congregations couldn't be more different in style, in service structure, in appearance. Jerusalem was probably very structured, probably looked very similar to how the synagogue service was run, very culturally Jewish. And then the Gentile church was probably nothing like that. And as a result, they were very different. And yet because of their common bond in Jesus and the grace that we all need, they're able to bless each other. And it should be that way for us as well. It should be. And so with many words, they confirm them, they strengthen them. And I love this because it all comes full circle in the chapter. Whereas false teachers from Jerusalem, they brought trouble, tried to subvert their faith. These two from Jerusalem come and they strengthen their faith in the Lord. And after that, they had tarried their space for a little while. They were let go in peace. Again, the same thing, sent off. Just bless you guys. Thank you for coming from the brethren unto the apostles. So they go back to Jerusalem, except for one, verse 34. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. And something struck this Jewish man's heart when he saw these Gentile believers worshiping the Lord. Something, something touched him. He fell in love with them and he made this church his new home. And there's nothing negative about the church of Jerusalem. It doesn't say, yeah, you know, I just don't like the worship at Jerusalem. So I'm staying here. The pastor, you know, at Jerusalem, you know, he's just, he's kind of quirky. You know, he's a little different. I want to come here. There was none of that. Congregation, they're just not very nice. They're all uppity over there and all this circumcision stuff. There's nothing. And there's nothing superior about the church in Antioch. We all can't attend the same fellowship. But this was the one he was supposed to be at now. So that's where he stayed. And I bring this up because... I find that sometimes people leave or attend churches for the wrong reasons. Usually it's oriented around what does it do for me? The better question is, where do you hear the Lord's voice? That's the better question. You know, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, right? Pastor Chuck used to say that all the time. Do you hear the Lord's voice when you're here? Well, then this is your church. And if you don't, then you need to go find a place where you do. (laughs) Because he is speaking. So where's God called you to be? That's the important question. And when you have that answer, plug in warts and all, plug in. I'm sure Silas didn't fit in immediately. I mean, he's a Jewish guy. He's not necessarily into all the Gentile stuff. So he stays there. And again, he he probably didn't fit in as a Jewish prophet in a Gentile church, but over time he would, they'd get used to him. He'd get used to them. And the same thing for you. If you feel like, I don't know how to plug in or I don't necessarily feel apart, find somebody, find somebody to go and say, hey, can I pray for you? You say, well, that's a little weird. No, it's not. That's what we're supposed to do. Find a way. Come find me and say, hey, can I pray for you? Because I need prayer. Verse 34, notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. And then it mentions verse 35, Paul also and Barnabas, they continued in Antioch. So they stayed on there at Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So 
Interestingly, when the people start getting saved in Antioch, they send Barnabas up to check it out and he kind of becomes their first pastor. But then he goes off to find Paul because revival breaks out and he comes to find Paul to bring him down to help with the teaching duties to disciple these new believers. And so they're kind of leading there. But then we see other leaders get raised up as Barnabas and Paul go off on their missionary trip. But now we find them back here again, and they're not in that same leadership position, but they're discipling believers, making disciples once again. But something new here it mentions, they're preaching. I think Paul and Barnabas at this point became much more evangelistic in their passion, in their heart. And so they're preaching. They're out trying to reach the lost, and they're focused on that as well. And something, I believe, changed on that mission trip to Asia Minor and Cyprus. Antioch was their home church, and they're still a part of the discipling process. But I think there's a little bit of a restlessness there to reach unreached peoples. And so as they're out there doing the evangelism ministry, this passion for the lost prompts what comes next in verse 36. And so verse 36 says, and some days after, it's actually about a year later, about a year of this stewing in their hearts. Some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, hey, Let's go again and visit our brothers in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So the purpose that Paul has in mind here is to take a second missionary trip to go check on the Christians in the cities that they visited on their first trip. Now, God has a very different plan for what he wants at least Paul to do. And it's gonna be far beyond what Paul imagined when he makes this initial proposal. And I think that's interesting because sometimes what starts out as one passion leads to a different mission, but God uses that initial passion to get us out the door. I can't tell you how many times that I've stepped out because I thought God was going to do A, and then down the road, I find myself doing B. And sometimes that can be confusing because we might ask ourselves and go, well, God, I thought you wanted me to do A. But in reality, God's saying, yeah, but if I told you to do B, you'd never have gone out the door. (laughs) So I told you to do A, (laughs) because eventually that would lead you to B, which is where I wanted you to go. And what Paul intends when he proposes this to Barnabas, unfortunately, is very different than what Barnabas envisions. And thus, in these last few verses here in chapter 15, a 15-year ministry partnership is about to come to an end. And so Barnabas, verse 37, it says, he determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now remember, they took John Mark with them on the first trip, but when they reached Asia Minor, John Mark, either he missed his mom or he didn't like all this Gentile ministry or Fergie in particular was very dangerous during that time. Bandits were all over the place. Maybe he just said, I don't feel like going out there. I'm going home. He decided to go home. So remember he bailed on him halfway through the first mission trip. So the second trip, Paul's like, hey, Barnabas, let's go and do this. And Barnabas was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go take John Mark again. And Paul's like, over my dead body. (laughs) That loser is not coming anywhere with us. You think I'm joking. That's pretty much what he says. I'm not taking that loser with me. Barnabas had this in his heart and in his mind that he was going to do this. The word they're determined, it means to take counsel with oneself, to resolve within oneself, and then to insist based on that resolve. Barnabas felt very strong about taking John Mark with them and he wouldn't go without him. He insisted that he goes with him. Now, are we surprised about that attitude from Barnabas? It shouldn't surprise us at all. He's the one who reached out to Paul when he was still Saul and the entire church feared to welcome him into their fellowship. That's why they named him the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means, the son of encouragement. Barnabas specialized in standing up for people who'd blown it in the past that the rest of the church kind of looked down on, people that no one else wanted to stand with. And you know, I love Paul. I do. I relate more to Peter than to Paul, but I love Paul. 
the mark he left on the Christian world is without debate. But I want to be more like Barnabas. <laughs> I want to be more like Barnabas. And I believe Paul will become more like Barnabas over the years, but right now he's not. And so in verse 38, look at what he says. But Paul, and man, the King James is so polite. Paul, but Paul thought not good. <laughs> <laughs> so, but let's go and check up on the churches. Desecrated. Let's take John Mark. Not good, Barnabas. Not good. The phrase there, not good, it means to deem as unworthy, unfitting, unwise. And it's in the imperfect tense, which means he kept on with this mindset. Every time Barnabas brought it up, he's like, Barnabas, this is a horrible idea. That guy's not worthy to go with us. He's a loser. He is a quitter. He has not earned the right to come with us. It is unfitting and unwise. It'll waste our money and our time if we bring him again. He thought not good to take him with them. And the Greek, it also, where it says to take him, it means to take that one. He doesn't even name him. Doesn't call him him. He says it's, it would be, not, that, that one is not worthy to come with us, is what Paul's saying. He classifies John Mark as a quitter. One who fell away. In fact, that word departed where it says there, who departed, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed. That word is the same word where we get apostasy from. Paul thought that he had literally departed from the faith in doing this. Demas is a guy who gets demonized in the scriptures because Paul says at the end of his life, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. And so you find Demas in these books as this like non-believer who's departed from the faith. No, he just didn't feel like getting his head chopped off. And so he went back to go minister to some safer areas in the Roman Empire. Now that's not commendable that he did that. But Paul, he was a man who believed in loyalty. And when you were disloyal to him, man, he wrote you off big time. He wrote you off big time. And so Paul, he says here, this guy apostatized. You know, one of the earliest Christian debates in the church centered around what to do with Christians who compromised their faith to save their lives during all the Roman persecutions. When the persecution would end, many of them would feel sorrowful and repent, and they would desire to be forgiven and received back into fellowship. But there was a group called the Donatists who claimed those who compromised were traitors and no longer worthy of salvation and that they could not be saved. Now, while Paul doesn't go to this extreme, and by the way, they were considered heretics and they were denounced. And because that isn't true, Peter himself denied the Lord three times and yet the Lord restored him. While Paul doesn't say he's not saved, he doesn't see any worth in taking John Mark with them. Mark might be saved, but he's lost his opportunity to be used by God, according to Paul. And that leads to an interesting debate because is Paul right? for using tough love? Maybe did John Mark become the man they became later on because of Paul's tough love? Or is he being overly harsh and even a bit ungrateful in light of the second chance God gave him? Well, I'll let Paul himself answer the question. I had you save 2 Timothy 2 if you want to go back there. And instead of 2 Timothy 2, let's look at 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. And in light of this great debate, I'm always amazed how people run to Paul's defense in this. It's almost like we're never afraid to point out the character flaws of all the people in the Bible, David, Abraham, and everybody else. But for some reason with Paul, we have to like defend him perfectly that he never did anything wrong. But I'll let Paul answer the question for himself. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, right before he's about to die, be executed by the Romans, he says this to Timothy, only Luke is with me. And then he says, take who? 
Take Mark and bring him with you for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Paul, who had seen no use for Mark, finds him very useful, profitable at the end of his life. Of all the people he could have asked for at that point in time when he's about to die, he mentions Mark. Apology accepted, Paul. (laughs) Apology accepted. And this leads to a larger question. What do we do with those who have failed to be faithful in their Christian commitment? Well, like Barnabas, I think we need to come alongside. John Mark the quitter doesn't become John Mark the profitable by writing him off. Surely Barnabas spent time challenging John Mark to hang in there this time, to be faithful. But I want to encourage you that if you fail to be faithful to God's call on your life, it doesn't mean God can't use you anymore. Recognize the failure, confess it before God, and renew your commitment to him and step out in faith again. You know, a commitment to being faithful with whatever he puts on your plate now and in the future is where you need to be. Lord, whatever you want me to do from this point forward, I'm going to do it. Because you know why? You can't change the past. You can't. But the present, let's live for Christ today, man. Whatever failure you've had, live for Christ today. But Paul's not quite there yet. And so this creates a problem for him and Barnabas. Verse 39, back in Acts 15. And the contention, it says, was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. It was so sharp. The word there means an angry disagreement resulting from continual irritation that erupts into tempers flaring. Their opinions on this irritated each other so much. Barnabas would be like, you know we need to bring John Mark. You know we need to bring him. You know you're wrong in this. I am not wrong in this. We are not taking that loser with us. And it just erupted into this temper flaring argument where they lost their tempers. Severe words were spoken so much that they couldn't arrive at a solution that would keep them together. And so they severed their ministry relationship. That's what the word departed asunder means. Paul still counted Barnabas a friend. In fact, he will speak very highly of Barnabas in his letters, even though we will never see them ministering together again. So we know their friendship was still intact after this agreement, but what a sad thing that they couldn't move forward together. Warren Wiersbe said, here we see two dedicated men who had just helped bring unity to the church and yet they could not settle their own disagreements. Hmm. It's a sad moment in the scripture. And yet I find it a little bit encouraging because it shows that I'm not the only loser out there. That we do let our irritations get to us. We get irritated with one another. We get hurt by one another. We get frustrated with one another. We don't see eye to eye all the time but let's hope that we can come to a better conclusion than Paul and Barnabas did to work together. And yet, even though this is a sad moment, God will accomplish his work in spite of it. And so they agree to part ways. And the plan is that Barnabas will hit Cyprus while Paul checks on the churches in Asia Minor. So it says, Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So this is the last mention of Barnabas in the book of Acts. We'll see him later in letters. We'll see Mark actually quite a few times more than Barnabas in letters. The reason we don't see Barnabas is not because, well, God was on Paul's side and he's not on Barnabas's side. So Barnabas gets shut out of the scriptures now. Luke is traveling with Paul. So he knows the details of Paul's journey more than he would Barnabas. So he will cover Paul's journeys. That's why. Now, tradition states that Barnabas was martyred in Cyprus in 61 AD, which would be before Paul died, which is why we don't see him mention Barnabas in any of his later letters. Uh, If that's true, that would be the reason. But it mentions here that when Paul leaves, that he was recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. Some people say that this means the church sided with Paul in this dispute. It's possible that's the case. But there is an interesting point to realize. If you flip over to Acts chapter 13, verse 4, 
when they go out on the first missionary journey, look at who sent them out in verse four. So they being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, but who's sending them out this time? The church in Antioch. In fact, the Holy Spirit will not be mentioned on this trip until verse six and seven of chapter 16, and then only to tell Paul he's going in the wrong direction. (laughs) Why do you bring that up, Will? I bring it up because I believe we're about to enter a period where Paul ministers in the flesh. In fact, there's a bizarre beginning to chapter 16 that I've seen people try to defend Paul on, and I do not get it at all. And if you read ahead right now, you'll see, you go, what? Why'd you do that? So anyway, I do believe we're entering into a period where Paul is going to minister in the flesh. So he is recommended by the brethren in the grace of God, and eventually the Spirit will correct him, and he will get submitted and yielded to the Spirit again. And I believe that he will get back on track, but I do believe we're going to enter a period where he's not on track. And that encourages me too, because I know I get off track sometimes. And yet God doesn't hang me on the shelf like Paul wanted to do with John Mark. And so verse 41 says, he went through Syria and Cilicia. So while Barnabas took the sea route, Paul takes the land route up through what we would call modern day Lebanon and some parts of Syria. And he actually goes from Syria to Cilicia, which is where his hometown of Tarsus would be. And he confirms the churches there. And so we will pick it up in chapter 16 to look at that weirdness next week. So read ahead for that. But uh, how easily we forget the compassion and mercy that was shown to us, don't we? When it comes to someone else offending us or disagreeing with us or doing things differently than we'd like them to do it. How easy we forget the compassion and mercy that was shown to us. I'm so grateful for the men who didn't write me off early on in my walk with the Lord because I was a knucklehead, man. I said some dumb things. I said some nasty things. I said some mean things. I made bad decisions. And yet none of those older men in the Lord wrote me off. None of those men who knew Jesus better than I did said, you know what, that guy, he's, I, I, showed, I ran away from home as a teenager because I was mad at my parents and I showed up on my pastor's dock. I ran away in the middle of the night. I, I slept on the dock. And my parents, of course, are frantic the next day calling, trying to figure out where I am. And they call, pastor, have you seen Will? Because they you knew I had deep affection for the leaders at the church. And have you seen Will? And he's like, no. And he looks out the window. He goes, actually, yes. <laughs> and you know what he could have done at that moment in time? He could have come up and I was sleeping on like a shirt or something. You know, I don't remember what I was sleeping on. He could have come up and kicked that thing. Out. You know, what are you doing? Scaring your parents. You know, Get up. You know, I'm going to take you home. You know, and grab me by the ear and run me off. Now he took me in. Gave me a cup of hot chocolate because it was cold morning. And he spent the whole day ministering to me. I would not be who I am today even close if it were not for those men who had such patience with me. Maybe you have somebody right now that you're at odds with or maybe they've hurt you, they've wounded you. Maybe you disagree with the decision they've made. You just think that, you know what, or maybe they weren't even loyal to you. Maybe you felt like they were disloyal to you. They bailed on you. I want to encourage you. The Lord hasn't given up on you when you've bailed on him. Go make it right. This is why the scripture commands us to be thankful in all things. Because remembering the hole from which we were saved, in which we dug for ourselves, it keeps us humble. I want to close with James chapter two. If you'd all turn to James two with me. James chapter two, verse eight. same man who wrote that letter, who instigated that letter, 
to encourage the Gentile brothers said this. He said, if you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then you're doing well. You're doing the right thing. But if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offended one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. So speak you, and so do, as they that not shall be judged by that law, but by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy to him that shows no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen? Take the chance. Be merciful to somebody who doesn't deserve it and restore that relationship. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your love and for your mercy that you have restored our walk with you so many times. I know if no one else here, I know I have been restored. Times when I have raged against you and times I have quit on you, times I've grown frustrated with you, poured out my heart to you, all my complaint. And yet, Lord, you gently rebuked me and restored me. Lord, help us to do the same with one another, to never write each other off, to be more like Barnabas, Lord, sons of encouragement to bring people alongside of us that they might become wonderfully profitable to you in the future. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.